Hey, what's up? It's Gustavo Arellano. And today we've got a special bonus episode for you. Not from us, though, because even though we did an episode on the sheriff's race in Los Angeles County just a few weeks ago, the story with the incumbent Alex Villanueva never ends. It's enough for a podcast series, actually. And that's exactly what longtime KPCC reporter Frank Stoltz has done. In a new podcast series for KPCC and the LAS Studios, Frank gets into the story of one of the most divisive elected officials to hit LA in decades. In the process, he shows how law enforcement has evolved over the past 30 years and how it hasn't. Frank, welcome to Times. Thank you, Gustavo. Sheriff Villanueva, man, you and I and our respective publications have published a lot on him. So why do a five-part series on Villanueva? Well, he's a fascinating character. I mean, he's really had this unlikely rise to power. He joined the department way back in the 1980s. And right off the bat, he does this crazy thing as a rookie in the jails. He proposes a smoking ban. This is right after the Surgeon General determined secondhand smoke to be a health hazard. And, you know, his commander said, no way, that's crazy. Uh, but he pushes it through. Later, a couple of years later, he runs for sheriff, you know, seven or eight years on the job. He starts his own labor union because he doesn't like the powerful uh, A-Lads deputies union and the way they do business. But he has a hard time getting promoted. And he lectures his superiors about that, says they're morally bankrupt. And in fact, they were. You know, the lieutenant's exam that he had taken was rigged so that the favored candidates could get in. So, you know, in some ways, he's righteous in his march through the department. But as you've reported, you know, he has this sort of chip on his shoulder. As I say, he's lecturing his superiors all the time. And he's Latino. And, you know, he sues the department over not getting promoted because he's Latino. But he never really makes it into the command ranks. And so, you know, eventually, essentially what he does is he goes to the voters and asks them to get promoted to sheriff. And it happens in this crazy atmosphere of 2018 where, you know, President Trump is now in office. He's promising all sorts of deportations. And he comes in and says, hey, I'm a Latino sheriff. You know, I'm going to kick ICE out of the jails. And uh, the Democratic Party gets on board. And, you know, this unlikely rise to power, he gets elected to sheriff. I listened to the first two episodes and they're great. You really capture Villanueva's paranoia, his animosity, his everything. But for you, what are some of the stories about him that you keep thinking about or talk about when you tell people about this new series? Well, you know, I think of Bob Olmstead, who was an assistant sheriff who really had a, a front row seat to Villanueva in that first year he was elected. Villanueva brought Olmstead, this uh, former commander, back in to run the jails for him. And Olmstead describes these meetings where Villanueva is vindictive and he wants to get back at all the people who he feels like did him wrong in the department. You know, this is the very thing that he fought against under the previous regime of former Sheriff Lee Baca and his undersheriff Paul Tanaka. And so he's he's acting very much like the folks he fought against. And I also think about this meeting with the inspector general in the summer after he is elected and, you know, the inspector general is about to issue this scathing report about his, you know, rehiring of his personal driver during his campaign who had been fired as a deputy for allegations of domestic violence and lying. And, uh, you know, according to the inspector general, the sheriff threatens him with 
an investigation or not that specific, but, you know, threatens to do something if he releases that report. And Max walks out, you know, thinking, oh, I wonder what that's going to be. And he releases the report. And a couple months later, the sheriff, you know, opens this unheard of criminal investigation into the chief watchdog of his own department. And, you know, that whole hiring of Carl Mandoyan and how he handled that really kind of set the tone for his four years. Right now, L.A. politics is an uproar because of leaked audio recordings that captured three Latino city council members and a local labor leader saying all sorts of racist and offensive things about the people they're supposed to serve. That story is already national. So why do you think your Villanueva series might have that same sort of resonance for people outside of L.A.? Well, I think Sheriff Villanueva represents a new kind of leader that we see elsewhere, someone who makes big promises, you know, in the same way that President Trump promised to, you know, clean out the swamp of Washington, D.C., Sheriff Alex Vinueva in Los Angeles County says he's really the only one to fight corruption in L.A. County, that he essentially is the only one to clean out the swamp of corruption in L.A. County government. And he's opened this criminal investigation in one of the supervisors who's been most critical of him. And so the question is, is he the corrupt one in launching these types of investigations? I mentioned the inspector general. He opened one against a member of the Civilian Oversight Commission. And, you know, all sharp critics of the sheriff. So he's this type of leader who comes in and says, hey, I've got all the answers. I can fix all of this. You know, authoritarian's a heavy word, might be too heavy for Sheriff Alex Villanueva, but he's not really following or respecting the levers of democratic government in Los Angeles County. And that seems to be the popular way to govern nowadays across the country. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so you know, the questions around Alex Villanueva, and we should give him credit where credit is due. I mean, he brought body cameras to the department when his predecessor dragged his feet. He did kick immigration, federal immigration agents out of the jails. But, you know, the way he has governed and the way he has interacted with the rest of government raises serious questions about his adherence to democratic values. Okay, I don't want to give away too much of what listeners can hear because we're going to play episode one right now. But describe how it starts. Well, it starts with one of your colleagues, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is is kind of fun in a way, although I'm sure it wasn't fun for her at the time. Aline Chakmedjan. Aline was you know, sitting in the front row. I was sitting a few rows behind her at this extraordinary press conference, the historic Hall of Justice in the basement where the press room is. And you know, all of a sudden, Aline's photo appears along with two others on like mug shots, you know, on this giant screen in front of the room. And... I, I don't want to give too much away either, but the sheriff, <laughs> you know, takes out his pointer stick and points it at your colleague and talks about a criminal investigation into her. And then it just gets more surreal from there. It does. Perfect setup. Frank Stoltz, thank you so much for allowing us to play episode one of your podcast. Thank you, Gustavo. The podcast is called Imperfect Paradise. You can listen to it on Apple, Spotify, all the major podcast platforms. Enjoy. I've been to hundreds of news conferences in my career as a journalist, and never have I seen anything like the one I attended in April of 2022. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Lorena Rodriguez. I'm in the first floor press room. It's in the basement of L.A.'s historic Hall of Justice. 
About a half a dozen reporters are there, along with some TV cameras and a bunch of armed sheriff's deputies in tan and green uniforms. Now it is my honor to present the sheriff of Los Angeles County, Alex Villanueva. Morning, everyone. We'll walk her through from the uh, starting point, which is March 10th of last year, the date of the incident in San Fernando Court, which you're probably already familiar with. You've seen the video. And then we'll the video is from a courthouse security camera. It shows a pair of deputies escorting a man down the hallway. The man punches one of the deputies and two more run over to help. They wrestle him to the ground and handcuff him. One of the deputies puts his knee on the head of the man for more than three minutes. It's eerily similar to the George Floyd video. All of this happened a year before this, but the video had just been published by the L.A. Times. And some of Villanueva's own people, his own command staff, were accusing him of trying to cover up the video. The sheriff denies this. He thinks the real problem is how the video got out in the first place. So he's called this news conference to announce he's launching a criminal investigation into the leak of the video. At this point, he pulls up a slideshow on a giant screen in the front of the room. And this is not a leak. This is actually obstruction of justice. Go on to the next slide. So here are the three individuals that we want to know a lot about. This person said he gave it to this person, but somehow it landed in the hands of the third person, the reporter from the LA Times. So now the question is... The sheriff has a wooden pointer stick in his hand, and the tip of it is touching the photo of an L.A. Times reporter, Aline Chekmedian. There are two other photos up there, too. One is of a former commander. Another is of the county's inspector general. They look almost like mugshots. I know Aline. She's sitting in the front row, furiously taking notes. The sheriff, at that point, addresses her directly. Like the L.A. Times, maybe you need to start clarifying exactly what you did with this and when did you, who did you get it from and when did you get it? So that's a question for you to answer. At this point, Aline raises her hand and the sheriff points at her. So with that, we're not going to take a question from you. Anybody else has a question? I felt obligated to jump in. Sheriff, can I ask you a question? Go ahead, Frank. Is Aileen from the L.A. Times under investigation by the department? The matter is under investigation. All right. Is she, is she part? Is she under the? Investigation? The matter is under investigation. This is stolen property that was removed illegally from people who had some intent, mm-hmm. criminal intent. And wait a minute. The matter is under investigation. What kind of answer was that? There's nothing more I enjoy than questioning a powerful person who appears to be blowing smoke up my ass. Sheriff, are you going to answer the question? You placed your picture up there mm-hmm. alongside two other people. Mm-hmm talked about it in terms of a criminal investigation. Mm-hmm. Is this Los Angeles Times inve- uh, reporter under investigation by the department? Well, the act is under investigation. All parties to the act are subjects of the investigation. Now, that's why we do investigations. We don't just walk away and say, oh, well, you know, oh, well, so sad. No. Is she one of the parties? Well, she received the information and then she put, put it to her own use. When it stole the material... At some point, you actually become part of the story. Sheriff Alex Villanueva is one of the most powerful law enforcement officials in the country. He leads a department with 10,000 deputies. He has a $3.5 billion budget. This is a department bigger than the LAPD. 
and he's saying he's investigating Aline for doing her job as a journalist, a job that's protected by the First Amendment. It looked a lot like retaliation. Aline had been doing some hard-hitting reporting on the sheriff's department. The LA Times called it an abuse of power and threatened legal action. And that night, Villanueva actually backed down. He denied he ever said Aline was under investigation. This is not the sheriff that people thought they were getting back in 2018. Back then, candidate Alex Villanueva promised to fix a deeply troubled department. I'm Alex Villanueva, and I'm candidate for sheriff for Los Angeles County. Well, my candidacy is about reforming, rebuilding, and restoring the sheriff's department. The reform element is very simple. He ran on a platform of ending corruption. My intention as sheriff is to wipe the slate clean. Protecting immigrants. I am not going to allow ICE physically be inside the jail system. And progressive values. It's been 138 years since the last Democrat was elected sheriff. Villanueva was proud of who he was. And voters loved it. When he won, we felt a great sense of possibility for change. We saw it as a signal of hope against Trumpism. But after taking office, things went off the rails. I knew I was being threatened. That was pretty clear. But what exactly it was he was going to do to me was unclear. It's like an enemies list. He was investigating anybody who was critical of him. He's probably one of the most vindictive, retaliatory persons I have ever met. This is pure retaliation and trying to suppress their speaking up. And in the course of that, that's when he made the, the blackmail attempt. I've been reporting on law enforcement in L.A. for 30 years, and I've never really covered someone quite like Alex Villanueva. In this series, I'm going to take you through what happened after he became sheriff in 2018. I'm going to show you how a man who ran as a progressive reformer in liberal L.A. County ended up as a darling of Fox News. Your priorities are so exactly in the right place. I just have to ask you, are people thanking you for taking a stand on this? Well, I got a lot of people that are thanking me from across the political spectrum, except for yep. one group, the woke left. Man. Why didn't you run for governor? Threatening to open a criminal investigation into a reporter is just the beginning. And this November, Alex Villanueva is up for re-election. I think 2022 is going to be a special year. I think it's going to be a referendum on a national disease that's going to finally see a cure coming along. Wokeism is on the ropes. Let's put it out of its misery in 22. I'm Frank Stoltz, and you're listening to Imperfect Paradise, The Sheriff, from LAS Studios. After a break, we'll meet the man behind the six-pointed star. They put these things on, or? Uh, if you want to, I mean, you don't have to. I, I, I wear them just because I'm used to wearing them. Mm. So you can wear them or not wear them. Uh, Alex Villanueva and I are sitting in a studio at KPCC in Pasadena. It's late July. For more than two months, the sheriff has been putting off my request for an interview. His people at first quizzed me on the kinds of questions we would ask and wondered if we would be fair. Then they delayed the interview until after the primary election in June. Then the sheriff got COVID. 
Finally, he arrives in an unmarked SUV with his security detail, two plainclothes deputies and a PR person from his re-election campaign. He's not in uniform either. Instead, he's wearing a Tommy Bahamas polo shirt with the words L.A. Sheriff's Department on the front. He walks with a limp. He's got a bad knee and seems relaxed as he sits down for an interview. Uh, I appreciate you coming in. No, no problem. I wanted to talk to Alex Villanueva to learn what he was like as a kid to understand why he thought the sheriff's department needed to be reformed and why he thought he was the man to do it. I also want to give him a chance to respond to criticism. Villanueva is 59 years old. He was born in Chicago to a Polish-American mother. He spent his early years in Rochester, New York, before moving in the fourth grade to Puerto Rico, where his father was born. I was nine years old. Couldn't, I couldn't count to five in Spanish. Did you feel out of place in, in Puerto Rico? Were you, did, was it hard for you? No, they're very, um, very receptive folks, real hospitable to, to foreigners. And uh, other than them being teased by being a gringo, because, you know, you know, light-skinned blue eyes and on an island where people, there are people just like me that are Puerto Rican, but most tend to be a little more darker skin. Villanueva loved reading as a kid. His favorite book was Don Quixote. The very first sentence, you always know it, in, in, en un lugar de la mancha de cuyo nombre no quiero acordarles, había un hidalguísimo señor. That's the very first sentence on Don Quixote, introducing the main character. That's not totally right, but he did nail the first half of the sentence. And then the concept of uh, tilting at windmills, a uh, quixotic, you know, that, that phrase is in part of our lingua now. I guess you tilt at windmills a little bit, right? And I knock them down. After high school, Villanueva joined the Air Force and ended up stationed in Southern California. He signed up for the L.A. County Sheriff's Department a few years later in 1986 because it paid well and he had a new baby to support. The Sheriff's Department is actually much bigger than the better-known LAPD. The LAPD patrols the city of L.A. exclusively, but the L.A. Sheriff's Department covers far-flung areas of the county from East L.A. to the high desert. It also patrols 42 individual cities, including Compton and Malibu. The biggest difference? The sheriff runs the county's massive jail system. But, you know, over the years, the LAPD has gotten a lot more attention from journalists and the public. That's partially because one of the biggest police violence scandals of the 20th century happened at the LAPD. As soon as it hit the airwaves, it created a firestorm. Video recorded by a man named George Holliday from the balcony of his apartment in Lakeview Terrace. It showed LAPD officers beating Rodney King with their batons and kicking him for 15 minutes after he led cops on a high-speed chase. I was new to L.A., I had just started working in the news department at KLON Jazz Radio. Here's my broadcast five days after the beating. I sounded a lot different back then. The videotape has already caused national alarm and has led to calls for the police chief's ouster. Meanwhile, the police department is conducting an internal investigation while the county will start presenting its case to a grand jury today. After a jury found the officers not guilty, the city exploded. It was just two words, not guilty, heard over and over again at the Simi Valley Courthouse that triggered all the violence. 
There are fires, at least 40 separate significant fires in South Central Los Angeles, more than 150 all total since 7.30 this evening. This is one of the most horrible things I've ever seen in my life. This guy had a crowd of people jump up on his truck. There's another guy kicks him when he has just returned to consciousness. Bricks and rocks bottles were being thrown at cars. Several bricks hit his window simultaneously. His front window shattered. His vehicle stopped. Uh, many people busted his side windows. Uh, two men climbed in and began beating him in the face with beer bottles. Villanueva was a few years on the job at this point, and he told me he was chasing people around East L.A. And uh, we actually stopped rioters on Whittier Boulevard and Ford in East L.A. They came to burn down Whittier Boulevard, and they were setting fire in the trash cans that were starting to break windows. He was a member of the California National Guard at the time, too, and after a few days, he put on his green camouflage uniform, and he patrolled the streets with an M16. I was armed with a cell phone the size of a brick, but the battery wasn't great. So most of the time, I went from payphone to payphone, filing reports as fires burned nearby. At one point, a woman warned me to get off the streets, and she invited me into her home, and I used her landline to file some reports. Another woman I interviewed expressed the sentiments of a lot of people. What I think about going on, the video showed everything. You know, you just can't beat nobody down like that. What do you think about all this violence? Are you scared? Uh, no, I'm not scared. I'm not scared. I just was saying it's destroyed a lot. But they need to destroy it. They need to do a, a little. I mean, they, they beat up Mexican people. They beat up blacks. But you let, a, you let a police beat up a white man. You let a police beat up a white man. And they ain't going to beat no white man up. A lot of people said, look, I don't like the violence, but something needs to be done to wake people up to what police are doing in the city. Did riots have an effect on you? Did it change the way you thought about policing? I paid a lot of attention to what Sherman Block did and Daryl Gates did during the riots. And I thought they did horrible because their decisions cost a lot of lives, a lot of misery, uh, property destroyed because they were not decisive at the inception of the riot. And the worst thing you can do is telegraph that you're not going to enforce the rule of law. It's the worst thing you can do. In other words, he would have done things differently than the sheriff and the head of the LAPD. A special commission created by the city after the King beating issued a scathing report about the LAPD. Some officers were sending racist computer messages to each other, and a significant number were using excessive force. There was less attention given to the sheriff's department, but it had the same problems. And they were all spelled out in a seminal lawsuit that was filed just a few years after Villanueva became a deputy. It was filed by a group of more than 70 black and Latino residents from a small, lower-income community in South L.A. called Linwood. They described how deputies were terrorizing them with indiscriminate shootings and beatings and trashing their homes during nighttime raids. At the heart of the lawsuit was this bombshell claim that a white supremacist gang of deputies operating out of the Linwood Sheriff Station was causing most of the mayhem. They were called the Linwood Vikings. Deputies had matching tattoos of a Viking. Some included the numbers 998. That's police code for when a deputy opens fire on someone. Inside the station house was a map of the community in the shape of the African continent. (laughs) 
So what was the department like when you joined? Definitely did not look like me. It was old, very uh, stifling, I say, very bureaucratic and, you know, steeped in tradition. And this is the way we do things and don't ask questions. And me, I'm always full of questions like, why do we do what we're doing and can we do it better? But the things Villanueva identified as problems, the things he wanted to do better, they didn't have much to do with police violence or deputy gangs. They were more quixotic quests, and they frequently brought him into conflict with his higher-ups. Villanueva decided smoking should be banned inside L.A. County's jails, which was not a popular opinion at the time. But he took it all the way up to the guy who ran the jails. I remember telling uh, sir, the problem, the hazard is today, not 10 years from now. And he just turned, I mean, beet red, veins popped out of his neck, and he's like, how dare you suggest that I don't care about my employees? And he threw me out of his office. And I, I walked out, I thought, he's full of it. You know what gets me is you weren't daunted at all. I mean, you're, you're wet behind the ears. You're still considered a rookie, really, for a few years, right? You're a rookie. Mm-hmm. Um, you, weren't, you weren't daunted, you know, by pushing this as a brand-new guy? Um, it was the right thing to do. I mean, you weren't nervous? I didn't think of it as, as something bad. It was the right thing to do, and if people thought doing the right thing was a bad thing, I thought, well, maybe more of the problem is on you, not on me. Villanueva actually prevailed, and eventually the sheriff ordered a smoking ban inside the jails. He was a man who wanted to change things, so he decided to get into politics. In 1992, he ran for city council in San Dimas, a community east of L.A. He lost, but that was just a warm-up. The next year, he ran for sheriff. He told the L.A. Times that deputy morale was low and he was the guy to fix it. Sheriff... That's pretty ballsy for you to even consider running as a guy with eight years and 30, 33, you said? Mm-hmm. <laughs> do you, I mean, do you have some awareness of how unusual that is? Oh, definitely unusual. But if, because we're talking about L.A., but if you expand your pool to the rest of the nation, it happens all over the place. Sometimes I'm not sure Alex Villanueva is aware of just how out there his ideas are. The guy who has known Villanueva forever, Matt Rodriguez, told me something similar. I go back to Alex Villanueva back to 1998. He and I were staff instructors at the Sheriff's Academy. Matt Rodriguez is a retired sheriff's captain. I interviewed him in January 2022 after a debate. Back then, he was running against Villanueva for sheriff. He ended up losing in the primary. So take what he says with a grain of salt. Well, you know, when we were sergeants, Alex Villanueva was a pretty rogue sergeant. And, uh, you know, what do you he, mean rogue? rogue? He sent an email to the command staff calling them morally bankrupt. Now, as a sergeant, you know, that's not probably the wisest career decision. It worked out for Alex, but it wasn't going to work out for me. So it was made very clear to me that if I wanted to have a career and my three young children and my wife at the time that didn't work wanted to have a career in the future, I probably should put some distance between Alex Villanueva and I. And I did that and had a successful career after. Wait a minute. You, you cut loose your friend uh, for your own career? Oh, why not? Yeah, I sure did, because Alex was actually out of control. You don't send a, uh, an email to the command staff calling them morally bankrupt when you're a sergeant. So, yeah, you know what? I kind of had to look out for my family, Frank. So he's kind of had this streak in him all along, this uh, 
this streak of, of bucking the system, of fighting the, the establishment. He calls it uh, speaking truth to power, but for really, it's a very personal thing for him. He always had felt like he's the underdog or discriminated against, and you know, very the first person to, to claim racism and you know that he was discriminated against because of his race. I'm Mexican American. He's uh, Puerto Rican, so you know I couldn't support that any longer. In the year 2000, Villanueva was promoted to sergeant, but he had trouble making the next rank, lieutenant. He thought he knew why. I think I was, as a Latino, I was supposed to have my hat in my hand to be thankful to have a job and, and be quiet. You, you should not be contemplating anything above sergeant or lieutenant, if you get lucky. Villanueva spoke up loudly and frequently about the discrimination he believed he was facing. He wrote a letter to his command staff, the one Matt Rodriguez told me about. And while he didn't call them morally bankrupt, he came pretty close. He said, deliberately attempting to suppress or retard the upward mobility of Latinos on our department is illegal, immoral, and politically incomprehensible. When he wrote his dissertation for a doctorate in public administration, it was on this very topic, that big law enforcement agencies didn't promote people of color. He also filed a lawsuit against the sheriff's department. He said the lieutenant's exam was rigged and that when he reported it to his superiors, they retaliated against him. And on that second point, he was vindicated. An investigation later found that the answers, in fact, were being given out and scores were being altered for favored candidates. The man behind this scandal, Paul Tanaka, a man whose name would become notorious for his part in a jail violence cover-up in just a few years. What was the takeaway from you from that whole experience? That, uh, you know, sadly, it was a wake-up call that, that people are corrupt and they will, they will um, alter and game any system they have control over to basically achieve their goals. At the time that Villanueva was suing the department, a man named Lee Baca was sheriff. His right-hand man was a guy named Paul Tanaka. Remember the Linwood Vikings deputy gang? Tanaka was a tattooed member. So Villanueva told me Tanaka was the one keeping him down, preventing him from advancing, because it was Tanaka who was rigging the lieutenant's exam. He wanted to run the entire department, have every single person loyal to him. So he was promoting people that were shy of being brain dead. They had a, a, an ethical dilemma. They had a bad uh, internal affairs case where they should have been fired or maybe got fired, got their job back. They always had something where because the department brought them back in the fold, they had to be loyal to the decision maker that brought them back. In this case, it was always Paul Tanaka. And that would rear its ugly head later on down the history of the department. That's after the break. Around 2005 or so, when Tanaka started overseeing the jails, the ACLU started hearing terrible stories from inside. By this time, I was covering criminal justice for KPCC Public Radio, and I reported on this at the time. Here's Gordon Gerbovac, who had been in jail. I was taken, uh, I believe, to an attorney's room by two deputies. They handcuffed me and they slammed my head into a glass wall over half a dozen times. 
There was blood on the glass. There was blood on the cement floor. Jail chaplains, a jail volunteer, and even a former deputy also have described beatings. Tom Parker, the former head of the FBI's L.A. office, examined the jails for the American Civil Liberties Union. I have never seen anything that approaches the level of violence that currently infects the Los Angeles County jail system. It's hard to overstate the sadistic nature of some of the brutality. Here's a recording from inside the jail. It's video the L.A. County Sheriff's Department did not want you to see. Inmates screaming, dragged, bleeding, and unconscious from their cells in 2008. Good evening. Deputies would create what they call extraction teams, and they would don metal helmets and football pads to drag people out of their cells. I don't think it's any coincidence that one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter, Patrice Cullors, became an activist after her brother was beaten inside L.A. County Jail. Much of the violence was carried out by these two deputy gangs. They were the 2,000 boys and the 3,000 boys, and they wore matching tattoos. The numbers referred to the floors they walked inside Men's Central Jail. Sheriff Baca denied it all. I believe that uh, people in jail deserve to be respected, not for the crimes they've committed, but for the humanity that they have. And the objective, of course, in me respecting the inmates is to get them to turn their lives around and get into the programs that I'm providing them. By 2011, unbeknownst to Baca, the FBI had opened an investigation into the jails. They began using a man being held in jail as an informant and gave him a cell phone. Paul Tanaka found out, and he decided to hide the informant from the FBI, erasing his name from jail records and shuffling him around. And Sheriff Baca warned the FBI to stay out of his jails. But two years later... Several former and current deputies with the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department were just arrested as part of a major sting that targeted everything from corruption to inmate abuse. The FBI arrested 12 sheriff's deputies affiliated with the jail scandal. A few weeks later, Baca held a press conference. I'm not going to seek re-election for a fifth term as sheriff, and I will retire at the end of this month. And I don't see myself as the future. I see myself as part of the past. Federal prosecutors later filed obstruction of justice charges against Baca and Tanaka. No one is above the law. This is a fundamental principle in our society. And when it is violated, it's the job of the Department of Justice to step in and hold individuals accountable. And that is why we are here today. Both Baca and Tanaka went to prison. This was a department in a leadership crisis, where gangs of deputies were brutally beating people in jail, and where you got ahead not based on merit, but on a corrupt system of loyalty. And so it was no surprise that in 2014, voters elected an outsider, the former Long Beach Police Chief Jim McDonald, as their next sheriff. I reported on it at the time for KPCC. 
Tuesday night, sounding every bit the Irishman from Boston that he is, Jim McDonald promised to restore trust in the six-pointed metal star that serves as the badge of L.A. County Sheriff's deputies. We are all at a defining and historic moment for our Sheriff's Department. Working together, we can move beyond past problems, rebuild the fractured relationship with our community, and usher in a new era for this great department. McDonald promised to clean up the department. He instituted a harsher system of discipline and modeled it in part on the LAPD, where he'd spent more than three decades. It was a shock to the rank and file, who didn't like the idea of an outsider in the first place. They said he was unfair. Deputies came to loathe McDonald. So did Lieutenant Alex Villanueva, which I found surprising given how Villanueva had been affected personally by the corruption under Baca and Tanaka. Why wouldn't he support a guy who said he was here to clean it up? I had no love for McDonald. I had three times I had written to him, his chief of staff, that I wanted to interview for three positions, captain rank positions, that I knew I was competitive, not the most competitive for the job. And all three, they politely told me to basically pound sand. I couldn't even interview for the job. Talking to Villanueva, it seemed like his advancement and the reform of the department were inextricably tied together. At first, he couldn't get promoted under Baca and Tanaka. Now, they were in federal prison, and he was working for a new sheriff. But his career was still stalling. So he quit and asked voters to give him a promotion to the top job. I was already a 10-year deputy, so was my wife. And we learned a lot through the process of how the organization morphed. On June 28, 2017, Villanueva made his announcement on the grass outside the East L.A. Sheriff's Station. He's wearing a suit and a striped tie, and his salt-and-pepper hair is clipped to a tight buzz. He shifts back and forth on his feet, gesturing with one hand. The video was later posted on Facebook. It's nearly impossible to hear him over the wind. And my intention as sheriff is to wipe the, the slate clean, but cleaning house first. You gotta get rid of corruption. You gotta get rid of the mechanism with which corruption survives within the organization. That's not gonna happen with the path that McDonald chose, unfortunately. He had the opportunity to do it. 30 seconds into his speech, whoever is filming suddenly switches the camera from horizontal to vertical. At this point, it's just Villanueva, his wife, and his nephew working on the campaign. It's amateur hour, a long-shot bid for sheriff that everybody thinks is going nowhere. And it was classic Alex Villanueva, the upstart, the underdog, Don Quixote. On the next episode of Imperfect Paradise, the sheriff... Alex Villanueva. Hi, Alex Villanueva. During such times as I hold the office... During such times as I hold the office... The sheriff... The sheriff... Of the county of Los Angeles... The county of Los Angeles... Politicians are famous for not actually doing what they say they'll do, so you never really know until they sit in the chair what kind of person they're going to be. That's next time on Imperfect Paradise. Imperfect Paradise is a production of LAS Studios. This episode was written and reported by a bunch of us and hosted by me, Frank Stoltz. Our senior producer is Emily Guerin. Marina Pena is our producer. And Francisco Aviles Pino is our associate producer. Editing by Meg Kramer and Paul Glickman. Fact-checking by Caitlin Antonios. Mixing by E. Scott Kelly. 
Original music by Jay Valle. Bruno Lopez Vega is our intern. Antonia Sarejido and Leo G are the executive producers for LAS Studios. Our website, las.com, is designed by Andy Cheewood and the digital and marketing teams at LAS Studios. The marketing team of LAS Studios created our branding. Thanks to the team at KPCC and LAS Studios, including Megan Garvey, Tony Marcano, Taylor Kaufman, Sabir Brara, Kristen Hafer, Kristen Muller, Andy Orozco, Michael Constantino, Donald Paz, and thanks to our VP, Shana Naomi Krokmo. That's it for this episode of The Times, essential news from the LA Times. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Kasha Brasali, and David Toledo, and Ashley Brown. Our editorial assistant is Madeline Amato. Our engineers are Mario Diaz, Mark Nieto, and Mike Heflin. Our editor is Kinsey Morgan. Our executive producers are Hasmina Aguilera, Shani Hilton, and Hiba El Orbani. And our theme music is by Andrew Ipe. And hey, we're building a Dia de los Muertos audio altar this year and would love to include your memories of your loved ones. Call 619-800-0717, 619-800-0717, and leave us a voicemail with your own ofrendas. Tell us who you are, where you live, and then tell us a great story about a friend, a family member, someone dear to you who has passed on and joined ancestors. We want to air an episode with these stories around Day of the Dead. Thanks in advance, and again, the number is 619-800-0717. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back next week with all the news in this month. Gracias.